morning, everyone. It's good to have you with us. For guests, uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team, and we're very glad you're with us today, extremely glad, and uh, very glad for the various things that you're thankful for and that our church family is all thankful for, and so um, it's good to have you here. If you'd like to, uh, we'd like to hear from you in the coming days in, ter- in terms of getting those, more, we'd like to do another video next week of what you're thankful for. So you can send, um, you can hashtag out on social media, FCC Thankful, or there's also a website on, on our, there's a web address on our website that you can car- grab a hold of sending stuff to us as well. I'll mention that to you again later on yet today. I want to acknowledge that we're going to be all gathering around tables yet later on this week for all kinds of discussion about the things that are good, including the food that's in front of us. And there are going to be all sorts of stories that will be told, I'm sure. Uh, things like, um, well, we'll tell stories around our table. I, I will tell the, some that are new, some that are a little bit older. Like uh, uh, one that will come to mind that comes to mind as I was thinking about that this week was um, a number of years ago. I got this call from Leslie, and it was apparently a crisis call. Uh, she was at the doctor with, well, honey, it's the way it came off. I think at first, at least. We have this deal in our family that if ever I use the family in a sermon illustration, I owe them a dollar. <laughs> I'm going to have, then this, this one's going to be wh- per service, and this is way more than a dollar, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> so here's what happened. Les was working in a situation where she had to wear a business suit quite regularly, so she was dressed in a business suit, and she called me and says, Wayne, I'm at the doctor's office with the kids. Okay, that was fair enough. But what, what the deal was, a few, few weeks earlier, we'd gone out and bought some clothes for her for her job, and bought some new pairs of shoes, some, you know, heeled shoes, and she'd bought a pair that was purple, and she'd bought a pair that was um, royal blue, and, and a few others, and so forth and so on, and she called me from the doctor's office, Wayne, Wayne, help me, help me, what's the I'm not going to the doctor's office, you'll see what I've done, what have you done? I'm wearing a purple shoe and a blue shoe, and I can come get the kids, and I'm going home, so fair enough, Leslie has this deal with shoes from time to time. Uh, before we ever moved to Decatur, I, I believe it was when we came up here to actually, if you will, let the congregation meet us and us meet the congregation and see whether or not the congregation was going to offer us a job, offer me a job, if you will. And uh, so we came up, we're going to be here for three or four, maybe five days of doing that sort of interview thing for a church. And this is a long time ago, 1993 now. And so... Less is a bit of a, a, a mood dresser. Some of you may know that, that you kind of dress based on how you feel. And so with that, she didn't know how she'd feel every day in terms of what we... So we brought a number of pairs of shoes, perhaps more than she could ever wear that. You've you ever been there, guys? Well, some of you ladies, you say, my husband's like that. Well, nonetheless, so we came with a satchel full of just shoes. Does it make sense? For some people it does, right? And so we got all the way home to Tulsa after this big interview process and everything, and we realized that the satchel of shoes was still at the hotel. Uh, now there's not good news, right? Up in Forsyth. So I called up the hotel and said, did you happen to find like a small suitcase or uh, an overnight bag full of shoes? Well, yes, we did, sir. I said, can you mail it to us? And so they wanted some fee to mail it back to us. And so they mailed it to Tulsa, with which First Christian Church quickly issued us an invitation to become a staff. So we shipped it back to Decatur again. So those shoes have been around a little bit. And, uh, but there you go. I, I, um, I suspect there'll be stories like that that you have in your 
in your family, don't you, that you kind of smile. Sometimes at Thanksgiving we have these sad stories, these poignant stories, and then we have like the stories that just kind of make us all laugh. I was um, visiting with one of the ladies of our church this week, Nancy Frey, and she said that she remembers Thanksgivings when she was a little girl, that um, Uncle Joe was responsible to carve the turkey, but he did it in a very unusual way. He would get the turkey in its pan and he'd get a bunch of knives and all sorts of tools and then he'd carry the whole thing downstairs and he would carve the turkey in the basement. And the plan always was that he had to be by himself carving the turkey all alone in the basement, which to me is very odd. (laughs) But families are families and you have odd stuff happen in families. And um, so anyway... um, The kids, though, would come down the stairs and they would peek in between the door jam and the the doors that was open and they would watch him carve the turkey. And then now and then he'd put a little piece of turkey on the edge of the table and the kids would have this game where they would try to sneak in without him seeing them, grab a piece of turkey and run back upstairs. Now, obviously he knew they were doing that and that was part of the game. Though I must admit... The idea of carving a turkey in the basement by yourself with all those knives and everything, it sounds more like Halloween than Thanksgiving, but I don't know. Anyway, we're going we're gonna to let you experience a little bit of that today um, because we have with us today Chef Brian Pear, who's the head chef at Millican, and he and his son, who is assisting him today, are off stage. They're about to come on with a turkey that they're going to carve while we're here in worship together today, and then you're going to get to eat it in the lobby afterwards, okay? You ready for this? And you're going to see how a master chef carves a turkey, and um, Alan, his able-bodied assistant, is going to... Now, you need to know, this has been miserable for us this week, because he's cooked these turkeys, some yesterday, some this morning, and we've been smelling these, and we're planning on this for a long time. So, so Brian, by the way, thanks for making this work all weekend long, buddy. Appreciate it. Not a problem at all. Look at this, I tell you. Okay, so pretty soon he's going to cut that and you're going to smell that waft throughout the room. Are you ready for that? In the meanwhile, I want you to take your Bible, please, and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Man, I can smell it right here. Deuteronomy chapter 8. If you don't own a Bible, there's one in the pew rack in front of you, okay? Yeah, one in the pew rack in front of you. And um, I think it's on page 261 is where we're reading today, okay? All right. Before we read, though, I want to um, again remind you that we're going to read about being thankful people, and we want to hear more of your stories of how you are thankful, and so to that end, will you please send us photos or short video clips of what you're thankful for? Send it to FCC Thankful or FCC Thankful at firstdecatur.org. You can do it on social media and so forth. And, um, so we'll look forward to that, and the key verse that we're going to look at today is found in verse 10 of chapter 8, okay? Verse 10 of chapter 8. And I want you, it's going to be on the screen. I want you to just read it out loud with me together, okay? I think it's coming. There you go. It says, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Let's read it one more time, okay? When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord for the good land he has given. So this Thursday, when, you, when you've eaten and you're satisfied, what are you supposed to do? Praise the Lord for the good land he's given you, right? So with that in mind, we're going to read all of chapter 8, and we're going to be working our way to verse 10 and then beyond with this understanding. What is it? 
Oh, wow, there's going to be some people who are going to get to enjoy this ahead of time. Put your hand up if you want some. There you go, all right. So we're going to read for... We're going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 8 today, and as we read, we're going to be listening to Moses, who was the leader of the people of Israel, and he is very old as he's writing this and as he's speaking to the people. Here's the deal. They had been slaves in Egypt. The nation had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and a guy by the name of Moses comes along and says, if you follow me, we'll get out of slavery, and we'll be people who are free. And that's exactly what happened. In 40 years, in one generation, they went from being slaves to being free to actually being the military powers of the Middle East of the day, okay? And so he, he is about to die. And so after he has done this tremendous work in the nation and he's led them for 40 years, you can imagine when he says, this is my last counsel to you, you're going to listen, right? It says this in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you'd keep his commands? He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't swell during those 40 years. What's he trying to get these people to do? They're living in a sweet spot in life. And what's he trying to get them to do? He's trying to get them to remember. And he says, in order to remember, you've got to go back. And he's telling them the stories of what's happened in the past. This week, gather around the table Tell the stories of God's care of the past. Do what it says in verse 2, to remember how the Lord God led you all the way. Remember God's care. There are stories in your life and in your family's life that you go, man, we saw, in retrospect particularly, we saw the hand of God there. What are those stories? And what can you learn from those stories? One of the things that we do when we tell stories is that we make every effort to learn about what we've, what, what's happening there. Dude. There are some really happy, happy people today, Alan. There are some real... Could I have just this maybe right here? Mm -hmm. oh. That's good. What was that I just had? Wow. Oh, that's really good. Uh-oh. All right. All right, I'm making a mess over here. I better stop. What was he wanting them to do? He's wanting them to tell the stories and then... Secondly, figure out what are the lessons from the stories. We have, we have stories within our family that have taught us lessons. For example, a, a major story within our family's life is one that has had an impact on us for 22 years. And I want to get into all this. Don't draw it out today. But many of you know that on November 12th of 1993, more, a little more than 22 years, we just had the anniversary of it. November 12, 1993, our three-year-old son, Benjamin, had an accident. He hit himself right here on the coffee table, fell forward and hit the coffee table right here. And uh, long story short, um, went into cardiac arrest and a bunch of other stuff, okay? His lungs deflated, all sorts of stuff. And um, we were taken by ambulance to one hospital, life flighted to another. And after surgery and after all kinds of stuff and concern about brain damage and everything, the physician said to us, this was the choice we were given. Your son's not going to live through the night, or worse yet, he'll never wake up. That's what they said. And 
it seemed like that, I mean, they knew what they were talking about, and that was the medical diagnosis that was given, or the, pros the prognosis, if you will. And you know what I learned in the middle of that? Because that didn't happen by God's grace. And why God graced us versus other families who lose their children, I have some answers for that, but that's probably another discussion. But nonetheless, our son now is 25 years of age, and he's married, he lives in Michigan, and he's doing very well. And every November 12th, I'm reminded of that story. So November 12th has just passed us by. And it was, in all honesty, the most difficult day of our lives ever, as you can imagine. And so November 12th this year, I got my phone out. And I texted to Ben and his wife, Courtney, and to Jacqueline, our daughter, and her husband, Eric, and to Leslie. I'm so glad to have a son who is alive today. Okay, that's cool stuff. Yeah. And, I, and you know what? The medical community really came underneath us in a powerful way in that regard, and I'm so thankful for that. But you know what I learned beyond that? I learned about the power of prayer and the praying approach of this congregation. See, we had just in Tulsa, we were living in Tulsa at the time, had just announced that week to the congregation we were serving there that we were moving to Decatur. It was just a few days after that announcement that this accident occurred. And so we had no formal relationship with First Christian Church. But by that following weekend, you know what this church had done? This church had begun making, they called them Ben-Bens. Ben, our son's name is Benjamin. And all the kids and adults had these pieces of fabric around their, around their wrists. And it was that they were going to pray for their new pastor and his family, and specifically for Benjamin. <laughs> and I learned that this is a praying congregation. And that that was one of the marks of the group of people called First Christian Church. And I've never forgotten that. And I have never forgotten that my responsibility as the pastor coming in six weeks later with our son in our arms alive. One of my responsibilities was to continue to lift up the high value of prayer in this church. And I want to thank you for teaching that to us. The story is powerful, but you know what's even more powerful? The lesson. So when you tell stories this weekend or the, on Thursday, can you also see what are the lessons there? Because the people certainly learned lessons as they told their stories. For example, look, verse. Uh, let's read uh, perhaps verse 6 and we'll see what, what they've got to do, okay? What some of these lessons are and as they remember... Verse 6, um, Moses says, Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks and streams and deep springs gushing into the hills, excuse me, and the, and the valleys, a land where wheat and barley and vines and fig groves and pomegranates and, olives and olive oil and honey, a land where the bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron, and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you, are, you want to read the next verse with me? When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. And then Moses goes on to say, Be careful not to forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. What's going on here? Well, if, again, remember the nation. They'd, they'd been, 40 years before this, they'd been slaves, 400 years of slavery. Now, 40 years later, they are free. They've made their way through the wilderness. They are on the cusp of a good land. They have, they have, they've become the military might of the, of the Middle East of the day. And it's, it all happened in one generation. And, and Moses is saying, make note of the good things that have come. 
You're going to have a land with brooks and streams. This is verse 7. Deep springs gushing out into the hills and the valleys. It's not a case of what are the markers of God's favor? Not only the fact that we have become this military might and that we are free people, but also we now have a lot of stuff like a land with wheat and barley and fig trees and pomegranates, olive oil and honey, and there's going to be resources inside the land, right, deep in the earth that we can use to create, you know, farming implements, if you will. Are you all done? I better not eat. I'm not, get ready for them. You're going to go get ready for them. Because yes. he's got another turkey besides this one ready for all of us. It's going to be in the lobby afterwards. <laughs> Can you thank him for that? <laughs> See, Moses is saying, you've got a lot of stuff. You've got a lot of, pl- you've got a lot of turkeys. And if you want to know one of the markers of the goodness of God and God's favor, he's saying, just look at everything you have and say, God is really good. I would suggest, friends, that God's favor is upon us. If you think about it, I would suspect that virtually every household here today has the resources that this week there's going to be a feast of some sort, right? Can we thank God for that? Can we thank God that there's in this land, from sea to shining sea, there is, there are, there's soil that produces food for us, right? There are minerals in the ground that enable us to have literally knives that he was cutting with today so that we can cut and enjoy this wonderful stuff that God's given us. A mark of God's favor, frankly, is plenty. Now, it's not the only mark, and you know people who are not in plenty, but they are still in God's favor. I get that. But overall, we could say our land is favored, and we can't say we're this solely the only favored land, but when it comes to the United States, we get to say, yay, we've got turkeys. And we are a land of milk and honey. In scriptures, milk is returning, referring to the sustenance of God, and the honey is the sweetness of life. All of us this week, can say we've got sustenance and we have the sweetness of life. And that one of the marks of God's favor is, frankly, that, that God watches over us. There's an interesting mark of, of God's favor here that I, I, I found fascinating in verse 4 that applies perhaps more to the um, people of Israel. It says, your clothes didn't wear out. This is during the 40 years of trekking through the wilderness. Your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't swell during these 40 years. Hmm. Hmm. I want you to look at your feet right now, friends. You want to know mark of God's favor? First of all, it will be mark of God's favor if you've got shoes on that match. <laughs> See, now here's the problem. I've told, talked to Leslie about Leslie three times in four services, so we're going to be in trouble. All right, here we go. But if your feet, okay, so if your shoes match, that's good news. But you want to know mark, an even better mark of God's favor? Are your, are your ankles swollen? He's saying, look at how your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't swell. If you're, if, and there may be some people who today have feet swollen. I get that. You go, ooh, this, I'm not out of God, am I out of God's favor? I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying, it's really cool when your feet don't swell because you can say, God's watching over me. This week, God's watching over me. My feet aren't swelling. You know what all that's going to cause us to do? What, what Moses is trying to get his people to do is take a look at life around you and find the good things. The fact that your feet aren't swelling, that's good news. You can say because of that, God's watching over me. I've got turkey. I've got plenty. I live in a land that's got plenty. 
It's all a mark of God's favor. And you know what I'm supposed to do with all of that? Moses says, remember. And when you remember, don't be arrogant. Remember the source of, that arrogance, of, that, of all that stuff to prevent arrogance. That It wasn't your work that gave you that turkey this, that you're going to eat on Thursday. Now, I know you, maybe you went out to work and you had to produce some money, so you go to the store and buy it, and fair enough. And you, um, you, have, you, you, have, you drive a car because you went and worked and you were able to pay it off. And you have a home or you have the clothes on your back today because you, you know, but you have these talents that enable you to go and be creative in whatever sphere of life you're in and you get to bring things into the house but friends where did that talent come from where did that creativity come from in the long run isn't it from God Almighty yeah you get you're the one responsible to make but you are stewarding what God has given you Moses has a concern you can see it in verse 11 be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you are eat and are satisfied, watch, listen to the things that he's concerned about. When you eat and are satisfied, when you build, find houses and settle down. Isn't this what we all want to do? We want to eat and be satisfied. We want to build, find houses. When your herds and your flocks grow large, when our livelihood continues to increase, when your silver and gold increase and all that you have is multiplied, when we put resources away and we literally become people who save money, which is all good and biblical. But if you do that and you forget where it all came from, you forget the source of where it all came from, here's the problem. Your heart will become proud. You'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through a vast and dreadful wilderness. It was, thir- you were, it was a thirsty and waterless land. It had venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you, so that in the end it might go well with you. God planned that it would go well with you. He gave you all this stuff. But remember where it came from because he wants to be certain that we would not, in verse 17, say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Instead, remember the Lord your God. It is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. It's foolish, according to Scripture, to say, I got all this. That's foolishness. And may I suggest that even for a nation, our nation, see the shining sea, we have a lot of stuff. We have more wealth than any other nation in history. We have more resources than any other nation in history. It would be foolish for our nation to ever come to the point where we would let the culture of our nation say, well, it's because of everything we did. Well, yeah, we worked hard. Americans, we work hard. But we have some resources that come as a result of that work. We are a creative nation, yes, but where did that creativity come from? Where did the ability to work hard, where did the ability to, that we have to be people of intellect come from? It would be foolish for us to say, well, it's from what we did. No, the scripture says, remember the Lord God. Verse 10 again says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, and when we've got all the stuff we have, Remember to do what? Praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Huh. It's important that we do that, friends. Would you read it out loud with me again? Verse 10. It's going to be on the screens here, guys. I want, because I want to see if we can get this in us today. Verse 10, guys. Could you throw that up on the screen there? Thanks. 
When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. It's, it doesn't say that we, we not, don't get to eat and be satisfied. No, it says actually when you eat and are satisfied. If one of the markers of God is that you get lots of stuff and plenty, then you know what we do? We st- simply step in and we enjoy it all. We remember, and in the process of remembering, we say it's okay to enjoy it because, frankly, feasting, literally eating and enjoying what God has given us, is very biblical. And feasting is, in fact, a mark of a strong, mature Christian. You feast, and it's part of Christian spirituality. Aren't you glad to hear that? Aren't you glad to hear it's not a case, man, I gotta, I gotta live some, some measly peasy little life and just be. No, God says, enjoy life. Jesus said he came so that we would have life and have it abundantly. Don't live meager-like. Enjoy all that God's given. You know, this business of feasting, it's, it's found throughout all of Scripture. The people of Israel in ancient Israel and today, they have these heat feast days where they just get together and they eat to declare the goodness of God. I'm up for that. Are you? They, they, had this, they, they have these high feasts. Like, for example, in 1 Kings chapter 8, there's a story where Solomon, on behalf of the nation, has led them to build the temple. You can see portions of it in Jerusalem today. 3,000 years ago, what they do is they dug down in the ground and they put these rocks and these stones, incredible architecture and, and engineering, and it raises 70, 80 feet up in the air. And, um, and you, if you've seen the Western Wailing Wall, where you see uh, the Jewish people of Jewish faith doing this, That's what Solomon built 3,000 years ago. And then they had the temple up on top of that. It's now gone. But as you look at that, and as they built that 3,000 years ago, and as they they stood back and said, look at all that God has done through us and what we've been able to do with God's help. You know what he did? He said, we're going to have a feast. Now, we would say we would have a day of feasting. We'd have a day of Thanksgiving. They had more than one day of Thanksgiving. They had a feast beyond all feasts. For 14 days in a row, they had Thanksgiving Day. I'm up for that. I'm up for that. If I get to eat, and by my eating, I get to declare the glory of God. Is there anything better than that? That's cool stuff. So they had these moments when feasting was very high. But then within Jewish life, there was also an understanding that when you have a mundane meal, that that is feasting also, and it is responsibility to give thanks to God, not only for the big days, but also for those smaller days when maybe lunch on Monday is a bowl of soup with some crackers. That it's a responsibility to be thankful to God for that because in that moment is when God will show up as you thank him. As a matter of fact, there's a great story in Luke chapter 9 where Luke is telling the story of Jesus feeding a bunch of people that I think illustrates this very well. Do you know the story? Uh, Jesus is teaching. He's got, it says, 5,000 men And they counted the men. They didn't count the women and children, different culture, but they counted 5,000 men. They got women and children besides that. And he's out there, been talking to them all day long, and it comes time for a meal, and there's no food available. You know, in these days, we'd have burrito trucks all lined up along the bottom, but they didn't have burrito trucks. They didn't have, you know, there was no, um, no French fry truck. There was no, um, what are those things that are like donut stuff in, in the batter? Funnel cakes. There's no funnel cakes. There's nothing, okay? So there's no, all they've got after they, after they survey the crowd, there's a little guy that's got five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus says, watch what I can do with this meager stuff. Hmm. 
It says, well, read it with me. It's going to be on the screen. Luke chapter 9. He gets everybody to sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gives thanks to God and broke them. And then he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples began to distribute it to the people. They ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. I find this fascinating. Five loaves of bread, two fish, feed more than 5,000 people. How did that work? Could I, could I posit something for you today, just give you a suggestion, that it was in Jesus' willingness to thank God for the stuff he already had that God showed up? It was in Jesus' willingness to thank God for this meal that a miracle took place? As a matter of fact, I'd like to ask you to consider something this week. I don't want you to make a big theology out of this, okay? I want you to think about this. Is it feasible that when you eat and when you thank God, that by approaching your meal as that sort of feast, does the likeliness, or the, the likelihood, if you will, the possibility of God showing up, does that likelihood increase? I'm going to ask it a different way. Do you thankfully eat before God, or do you arrogantly forget the source of all your resources? If you do, that's a problem. Because if you arrogantly forget the source of all your resources, now I, I know no one would ever do it intentionally to be arrogant, You'd say, well, I just forgot. I didn't remember. But do you rem can I remind you now what Moses said? Don't forget. Remember what God has given you. Because if you forget, you become arrogant and you say, I did this all by myself. Mm -mm. May I suggest that if you don't remember, you forfeit the possibility of God showing up for your needed miracle. If you don't do this, thank you, God, or do this, thank you, God. You're not inviting God into the middle of that moment. When Jesus invites God into the middle of the moment by saying, thank you for what I've got, this little bit I got, suddenly the little became plenty. Again, I don't want you to make a big theology out of that. I want you to ponder it in the coming days. Because eating without giving thanks is certainly out of step with the way that Jesus did. What Scripture tells us to do is to remember to give thanks, and then simply to enjoy. Enjoy it all as, as, as a way in which we say, God was in the middle of my life, and I'm enjoying life. This abundant life has come my way. You see it throughout all of Scripture. It's the high feasts and then just the regular ordinary mundane meals. You see it with Jesus. You even see it in the early church. The early church, as you know, Jesus dies, he buried, he's buried, he goes to heaven after, his, after the resurrection, and the church of anywhere between 120 and 500 people at first, suddenly within a few weeks flourishes, and they're now running three to 5,000 people in a, in a congregation that meets in homes around the city of Jerusalem. And what's fascinating to me is that the marker of what that congregation as it meets in homes, the, the scriptures tell us what they did and what happened, that they would eat together in each other's homes, and they do a variety of things in those homes, including praising God. And the result of all of that was that the, they enjoyed the favor, it says in Acts 2 and Acts 4, they enjoyed the favor of all of the city. Why was that? Because when they were eating and praising God, God showed up and you have these stories of miracles taking place.
Hmm. The idea of feasting is absolutely biblical. The idea of enjoying what God has given us is absolutely biblical. You've not only got the, the people of the Old Testament feasting and not only the people of Jesus' day and the early church feasting, you have even this understanding that on the other side of life as we know it, when we get to heaven, you know what we get to do in heaven? We're going to go to an event called the marriage feast of the Lamb. I can hardly wait. You know what? Isaiah when he describes what that marriage feast of the Lamb is going to be, he says, it's going to be a meal that is full of, and this is the language, rich food. Turkey? No, it didn't say turkey, but it just says rich food. I'm looking forward to that because I've grown accustomed to wimpy salads of late. And I'm tired of wimpy salads. I want to go places where I can, where I can enjoy all of that God has given us and I don't want to be accustomed to wimpy salads in heaven. I want to be able to praise God in the great moments of life and the great moments of wonderful rich food. So here's my understanding of why we're doing this today. Scripture says to eat. It says to tell stories. Scripture says to remember where, the, where all that stuff you've got came from, to have plenty and to enjoy the plenty. And so for us... As people here in the U.S. this coming Thursday, what are we going to do? We're going to laden our tables. And I would suggest, get away from the stress of the day and say, oh, instead go, oh, all this stuff God has given me. And the turkey and whatever other meat goes on the table. And you enjoy it. And then, out comes the apple pie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> apple pie. With some vanilla ice cream on it. Can't you just see it right now? And what happens when that pie meets the ice cream? The ice cream begins to melt. And um, it begins to seep down into all the pores of the apple pie. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for it? I am. But uh, it occurs to me. If in eating and thanking God at the same moment for this land of plenty we live in and for the plenty we have on our tables and more importantly for the plenty we have in our lives, if God's going to show up there, oh, that's going to be really sweet because you know what happens? Just as that cream has an interaction with that, that ice cream has a, an interaction with the hot apple pie and it seeps into the pores of that apple pie. My prayer is that as I eat and as I feast and as I thank God for that, that God does indeed show up and his presence is in my home. And that presence is like melted cream all over that apple pie, moving down into every pore and every fiber of my being and my family. I'm up for that, are you? You're going to get a little taste of it today in two ways. First of all, the turkey that you saw here is going to be in the lobby along with some other turkeys and you get to enjoy that, okay? It's a foretaste of what's happening on Thursday, but more so a foretaste of what God has yet in store for us, of this understanding we're going to live and be people who are bountifully blessed by God. And then secondly, and the second way you're going to do that is we're going to have communion together. And if you're serving communion, I'd go invite you to get ready for that. Because what we're going to do is we're going to have communion a little bit different today, differently today. We thought we should give you a way to experience uh, a feast in a, in a new way in light of my sub, uh, sermon today. If, if you see feasting throughout Scripture and if we're told that in the midst of eating we remember the things that God did, then may I remind you that Jesus, the last act that he had with the disciples for his death was that he invited them to a feast. They had the Passover lamb. 
And as they were in the past, having Passover together, Jesus took bread. I mean, it's around him, and he, he broke it, and he gave thanks. And you know what? He breaks it, gives thanks, and God shows up, right? Our atonement is in play at that moment, at that very moment. Our, the forgiveness of our sins is in play. He breaks the bread. He said, eat it in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it in, rem in remembrance of me. It's, we are told in Scripture that whenever we eat and drink like this, we're remembering the Lord's death until he comes. We're remembering that in thankfulness, God gave us Jesus Christ. So today, we're going to do communion a little bit differently. You can see we've got stations, four of them on the main floor, one upstairs. And we're going to ask you, if you're able, to step out of your pew and eat differently today. We've got large pieces of bread, and we're going to invite you to, with intention, dip that bread in the cup and experience a little different taste on the back of your throat. Namely, that larger piece of bread instead of the small wafers we typically use. And if you're unable to get out of your pew, we'll bring uh, the elements to you, okay? We'll be watching for that. If you're not a member of our church, you're invited to participate. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ yet, I would suggest you could become a follower right now. I'm going to pray with you right now. We're going to give you a moment to accept the reality of Jesus Christ and forgiveness of sins, and then you're invited to participate. In order to do this, we're going to kind of do it in rotation fact, uh, fashion where a pew is going to go one way and then come back in the other way. And we're going to do it both at the front and the back. And we invite you to do that. And you'll get a, ushers will be showing you how to do that. But in the meanwhile, let's go before God in prayer and we'll get ready for this feast in which we thank God for the gift of Jesus Christ. God, thank you for the coming of Jesus, for his work in our lives for the fact that we are forgiven because he died for us. And we will feast now, striving to remember his gift to us. As we feast God, we do it in his remembrance, remembering his death, remembering what he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom.